Welcome to another episode of Empire Apps. I'm Leo Dion. Today we have with us Erica Sedun. Hey, Erica, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. It's actually been a bit of a challenge getting guests before WWDC because everybody wants to wait for WWDC. So I'm glad you could make the time to do this. Well, we're in the age of the Rona, you know, so I think people have a little bit more flexibility than they might normally have in terms of making little extra spaces or spreading the workday out in non-traditional ways. Yeah. So you timed it well. Do you typically work from home? I There are times that I've worked from home last year. I mostly did not work from home, but that was pretty hellish. Yeah. So last year I did a lot of commuting in which I became absolutely addicted to books on tape, except they're not called books on tape anymore because I'm old. Audible sort of books. Okay, yeah. I, that's the one thing I've missed. Like, I've actually had to allocate time to, like, listen to podcasts and audiobooks because uh, I, I don't commute. Like, even when I, I mostly work from home, but, like, even when I did work from home, I still got out of the house and listened to stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like I make an effort to actually sit down and listen listen to stuff. So hopefully the audience is doing that right now with this podcast because <laughs> I know how time-consuming it is. I've got to say, I loved commuting in terms of it gave me time to listen to podcasts and it gave me time to think and to chill. Oh my gosh, yes. But it was too much. It was too much time because I was waking up and getting out of the house by five in the morning. So I was on the road by five in the morning, which by the way, in Denver has traffic. Yeah, right. And then I wasn't getting back until almost five at night. Then I had to make dinner, take care of the kids. It was it was too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankful I'd never have had that long of a commute, to be, to be honest. So I, I don't miss that at all. So for those of you who don't know you, Erica, what do you do? Oh, I take care of children, I cook, and I clean. But you do some Swift too, right? Yeah, I sort of try to stuff that in around the edges. <laughs> and um, you've But been... I do write books, I do teach, I do developer outreach, I do consults and you know freelancing. It's sort of a mixed bag, but mostly I take care of the family. <laughs> so I've been to TriSwift, and they're doing this like TriSwift World stuff lately. And you recently spoke at TriSwift World, at of course is relative in our current age, but on the Swift argument parser, correct? That's right. In fact, um, Natasha, who runs the conference, has been wonderful. So I've done about four or five workshops so far, with another few coming up this week and next week. And it's just such a marvelous opportunity to be able to run these workshops while, you know, normal conferences just aren't really available. So I've totally been enjoying the teaching. It's something I don't do enough of, and I hope I get to do a lot more of. So what made you choose the Swift Argument Parser for a topic? That is such a good question. I'm doing several topics in the workshops, but the one that really got me started was the Swift Argument Parser, which just fit into this lovely niche of what would make a great workshop. First of all, it's brand new. It's only been around a few months, 
which means that it's a topic that a lot of people aren't familiar with. Second, it's not incredibly fully documented, which speaking as someone who writes books and does teaching and so forth, there's nothing we like better than poorly documented or not fully documented material because then, you know, that's a business opportunity. Uh, yes, I, I can understand that then, yes. It's also something really near to my heart because I love the command line and I've been writing command line utilities for Mac OS or OS X or whatever preceded them for you know, a really long time. And this took something that was pretty much a pain point, which was establishing usage, testing usage, generating help output, doing type safety and so forth. And it abstracted all those pain points away and turned something that I loved the result, but the process kind of was a pain and turned it into something that was really simple, really straightforward. And I still got the lovely utilities at the end. So at this point, I'm just pushing out new command line utilities, you know, on a near daily basis, because suddenly it just becomes so easy. And I'm saying this in the context of someone who has used Swift to do command line utilities. And I've used it both in shell scripting, because you can do that with Swift, and I've done it with compiled, but it's always been something that it never really was much of a pleasure to do. And with all the kind of painful stuff put to the side, suddenly I can just imagine it and turn it into a reality really, really quickly, which is one of the great things about doing command line as opposed to doing, you know, whether it's an iOS app or Mac app or watch app or so forth. There's so much more overhead with those. This command line utility, I think about it, you know, five, 10 minutes later, hey, that thing is running. It's wonderful. I couldn't agree with you more. So you're probably stuck at home and you're not sure what to do. And you think that maybe now is a good time to start a podcast. You're probably wondering what are some great services out there if you're thinking about starting a podcast. Now, when I first started off, I built everything by hand. So as a developer, we've all done this before using services like WordPress and Amazon S3 to host your podcast and hope that everything works okay with strings and tape until you realize everything falls apart and you need something a little bit more professional. Now, there's a lot of really cheap services out there, but unfortunately, a lot of the times they do stuff like throttle your downloads or insert ads, which just make your podcast not quite as professional. That's when I found out about Transistor, which is what this podcast is hosted on. Transistor is really a solid publishing platform for professionals, and it's really reasonable pricing, and it will help you distribute your podcast to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it may be. So if you're somebody who's professional or running a business, I can't recommend Transistor enough. They have detailed podcast analytics, so you can see how your downloads work. So I have great dashboard for seeing my downloads, how they grow, and how people subscribe. 
It is really great for creative businesses, professional podcasters. It's really a professional, solid podcasting host for people who are really serious about podcasting. If you are interested, I recommend checking Transistor out at transistor.fm, question mark, via equals Empower Apps, to let them know that you listen to the show and that you are serious about looking for a podcast host. And if you're looking for something with a solid website hosting, just check out our website to see the stuff you can do with Transistor. Again, that's transistor.fm, question mark, via equals Empower Apps. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to our show. So yeah, I've built probably three different commands using the Swift argument parser. And like, there's been, I think I looked at, there was one, what was it called? It was like doc ops where it's cross, it's kind of a cross platform API kind of think of it like reactive, how like it's a certain set of terminology that you'd use and then apply it to different languages. And it was kind of the same thing where there's a certain set of terminology with command line apps that you would apply in different languages. And I tried applying that, implementing with that, and that didn't work out so great. And then I saw this uh, Swift argument parser, which isn't even in 1.0. And I was like, this, this is it. And now it's, (laughs) it's almost like a hammer. I've like pretty much used it in every single command line tool that I've been building lately and it's fantastic and it brings a lot of the uh, it, it brings swiftiness uh, if I can use that term to the command line and as developers like we use command line tools all the time and it brings that like swiftiness like I think of like stuff like codable or like swift UI and the stuff using with like property wrappers and it brings that into a command line tool and it's just so easy it's so easy to get started, but it's also easy to like, it has that comfortable fit of like getting started is easy, but at the same time, like making complex commands is also uh, not, you're not working uphill, so to speak, if that makes sense. And it works really nicely with Xcode. So a lot of times you look at Swift Project Manager and you don't really pay attention to the Swift through the Xcode integration, and that's gotten so much better. Yes, I agree. So I can now create utilities, you know, throw them up on GitHub. You know, you can download them and compile them, or you could just Swift build, which is you know the Swift build is the uh, Swift package manager command, which does all the work without ever launching Xcode. And, you know, there you go. Now, admittedly, Swift Build doesn't have install yet. So you're going to have to either do a make install, you know, and build your own make file or do some sort of utility for putting it in place. It seems kind of ridiculous that Swift PM does not have, you know, Swift install. But, you know, eventually. I was thinking about that yesterday. Like, what I, I and I started doing some research this morning. Um, apparently, there's like a homebrew extension that uses Swift Package Manager. I want to check that out because that would be a decent patch. I mean, I like I like homebrew. I use it for a lot of my apps. I don't know about you, but like, I think it's actually an extension on Swift where you type in like Swift Brew and then the uh, like the abbreviated GitHub path and it'll install the command for you. Nice. Uh, if it's a Swift package, I'll. I'll 
put that in the notes. I don't know if it works. It looks like it hasn't been worked on in a few months, but like, heck, if a, I'll, I'll fork it and get it working because I think that's like that would be a great way to get command line tools installed. That's cool. Now, when you say you do Swift Brew uh, or you've done um, Homebrew, have you created your own tap? Yes. Because I thought about doing that, but I haven't actually created a tap. So what's that like? Uh, it's okay. There's uh, App Speculate, which is for building uh, graphics from mm-hmm. SVG files for Xcode. Nice. So I started off... I started off. Doing Wait a that second. Before a, we go even a second further, in you, we'll get back to the the brew thing. Okay. UI image. Why don't we have native SVG support? Why can't we have scalable graphics? You know, it's 2020. It's not like vector art is, you know, new. Well. So they have PDF, right? Yeah, they have PDF. And at first, the PDF just got rendered, and it got rendered at a particular point. And then, you know, it became slightly better. Right, right. I mean, come on, SVG. Do you want the real reason, or do you want, like, their, the argument that one would make? Because, like, the argument that one would make is that, oh, SVG doesn't have size, which it does, but whatever. And then also the idea that, uh, and I, I think this is pretty uncommon that you want to customize each size, particularly like if you have text inside a inside a image. That's the argument that will probably be made. I disagree with it. I think SVG, especially since text is very vector friendly. Right, that's true too. Well, yeah, but then you could I could see how you could run into the issue of okay, you use a custom font. Then how do you in well, I guess you'd use a path. You wouldn't use actual text in the SVG file. That would make more sense. But in any case, yeah, you go back. It goes back to what you were saying, where like the vector can be blown up accordingly. So, yeah, I know it is scalable vectors. Okay, so what are our friends on the other uh, side who do Android? Do they do they support SVG? Like, I have no clue. Android people are always these lovely people. I always run into them, and they're always very calm and very happy. I don't know <laughs> what it is. They are just happy to do Android, happy to be alive. They're, a lot of them are using Kotlin these days, which is basically Swift. Right. They're they're all terribly happy. Right, basically. And I don't actually know what they do other than, you know, produce things for equipment that I would never touch because I have some sort of weird, you know, bias against it, which is, you know, probably a completely unearned bias. But when I think of Android, I always think of, you know, some sort of malicious, horrible thing that's going to come up and bite me. And I know we're going further and further away from the tap story because I want to hear about taps, but Android just sort of creeps me out. Um, but if anybody's listening who's also an Android developer, uh, let us know. Can you, like, does SVG perfectly work fine on Android? Uh, I'd like to know. I know there's some really good libraries. So I started looking into, like, some libraries that support SVG. Uh, and there are some that I could probably put in the notes, but yeah, it's not like supported out of the box inside an asset catalog. So that's like where speculate comes in. It does all that resizing for you. And there's the native Bezier path, right? Well, you can't use Bezier's as images and you should be able yeah, to. Right. Yeah, that's true. So just to try to circle back. Taps. 
I started using Speculate as a tap where it actually build the app and then install it as a command line tool. Mm-hmm. But I've slowly like transitioned into making it as a Mac app. So in Homebrew uh, for a Mac app, uh, you have to use what's called a cask. And then you can then use, uh, you can install Mac apps that way, which is uh, one of the ways I do install uh, some of the apps on my computer uh, outside of like stuff that I can just find on the Mac app store. Mm-hmm. And so they have two different like, and they're both they're basically I think like Ruby files essentially, and you just have to specify certain like, like all I have to do is put in the URL to where the app is and the like a the SHA uh, two fifty six code for it, and then it just downloads it and installs it, and then just update the version number every time. But yeah, it's not it's not that hard honestly. Um, I'll try to find some tutorials and post them in the notes. Uh, for you in the audience. Again, that would be really cool. Now, I've got to say, recently going to Catalina, I've had some brew issues. Specifically, I had a hand copy over Emacs because every time I brought over Emacs, you know, with brew install straight on Catalina, it kills. It, It launches, it dies. Interesting. The only app I've had that issue with was uh, OBS, which is the um, used for like streaming. Mm-hmm. But I really haven't had a lot of issues. That's that's just a regular like Emacs is just a terminal app, right? For text editing. Yeah, it's just a terminal app. So I what I did is I brought over a Mojave install, and so I'm running the Mojave version of Emacs, and it's really frustrating. <sighs> Catalina has not been a joyful experience for me. It, it basic Catalina in terms of operating systems is a Swift three to Swift four transition. No, it was a Swift two to Swift three transition. Mm, it's like, right. it's been really miserable. I have, first of all, Catalina killed so many of my apps. So I now have a second computer running Mojave so that I can just get work done whenever I need to. Wow. On the apps that no longer work, but that are still part of my, um, you know, they're, they're still part of my tool set. And a lot of them aren't being made anymore. It's not like I can upgrade them. Is this because of the 64 bit stuff? Yeah. Oh, okay. I have a lot of niche apps. And <laughs> they're, they're really good, important apps that do important work. Now, Part of this is also the fact that you can no longer buy Creative Suite. It is now a subscription. Yes. And that really irritates me. So I'm still using Creative Suite over a Mojave because I just don't want to be in the subscription mode. Uh, yeah, I totally understand. I dropped my subscription last year and I've switched over to other apps. Many of you have probably heard about App Store optimization and how it can get you more downloads. There's a lot of demand for apps right now, so it's a really great time to give it a try, and it's easier than you think. The folks at AppFigures have an easy, step-by-step guides and intuitive tools to do that, which many indie developers are using to get more downloads. The guys who run it are indie devs who had a need and created a tool. 11 years later, it's an all-in-one platform for developers who want to get more downloads and make more money with their apps. Try AppFigures for free, and if you like it, Use our special code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Thank you to AppFigures for supporting our program. 
uh, have you looked at like other apps to do? I have. Like I, I actually started using Inkscape and GIMP. Uh, so FYI mm-hmm. to the audience, album art, I do that in GIMP. It's pretty simple. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just change the background image and uh, change the, the name of the episode and the guest. And there you go. Now we have album art for each episode. That's like fairly simple. I don't miss there's some things I miss about Photoshop and then, Oh, we talked earlier. Like I don't edit anymore. So I just record recording right now in garage kit. So there was like a lot of stuff that I just don't use Adobe stuff. Uh, I recently purchased final cut pro. So like, that's the other thing is you could look for alternatives outside of Adobe. It's true. But with a lot of one's tool sets, just like with the command line, cause they kind of go together. Your goal is never the tool. Your focus is not the tool. Your focus is on what you're going to achieve. And you want to achieve that with the least resistance possible. Well, it just sounds like you're going, you have a lot of resistance right now, though, right? And when you're trained in your, your tools are trained in a certain way, your productivity just goes to hell when your tools stop working. Yeah. Yeah, I totally understand. Yeah, it, that can be that can be a real challenge. So what other tools do you have that you use on Mojave? Oh, I've got everything from video and audio edits to which is what Is this like Premiere? I've got I've got the whole um creative suites. I mean, I've got the full thing Illustrator in particular. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're still talking Adobe stuff. Because you know, I work a lot with, you know, SVGs and that's my tool. Right. Yeah. That's the one thing I, I miss. Uh, Illustrator. Escapes is, is very okay. <laughs> very okay. You get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. And it also, you know, it's funny. We did an episode last year with um, Daniel Jelka about Mac apps. And like, you definitely have a feel like people complain about Slack, for instance, being like an Electron app, but like, I don't know what they're building inkscape on but it's like some crappy linux Mm -hmm. gui library and it totally does not feel native um and that's just that's just awkward to work with so speaking of tools that are cause friction inkscape like i try to i go into it i do a little tweak here and there and then i get out of it but gimp is okay gimp is is decent i just wish some of the keyboard shortcuts work the way you think they would. But unfortunately, that's not the case always. Another thing is uh, the Microsoft suite. Now, uh, you're going to go, oh, my God, she uses Microsoft. And it's not a something I do by choice. It's just an industry standard for publishing. Right, right. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't work over here. It does work over there. That's really interesting. I would think Microsoft wouldn't be too bad. Well, they do now have a subscription model and all their stuff. But the thing is, every publisher you work with is going to give you, you know, a dot file that, you know, is then going to set up their particular standards. And, you know, there are all the tools and so forth embedded in there with their particular ways of Mm. what is their standard for, you know, headers and tables and all that. And it's really fussy. And doesn't transfer to the new stuff. They are really, you know, we're talking about dead tree technology using dead tree software. 
Right. And so because it's a tool of the trade, I can't walk away from it. Let me ask you something about publishing. Like, is it pretty typically like here's a Microsoft Word file or template, I guess, just work within these frames to create your book. Do any of them, especially because I obviously I would assume that you write mostly like the tech stuff. I would hope that some people would be a little bit more open to working with something like Markdown. Like that would be fun. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you about Pragmatic uh, Press. They are, I hate to use the word agile, but that's what they are. Agile has so many emotions and so forth hanging onto it. But in the truest sense of the word agile, Prag Press is. And yes, for my books for them, I use Markdown. Okay, good. And I use Macdown with Markdown. And Macdown is great for Markdown. I've heard of Mark Macdown. I've heard it's awesome. And, you know, when you're self-publishing, because I've done that also, I have a um, a pathway that starts with Markdown. Or should I be more, you know, accurate and say, because I, I use Common Mark. I use, you know, the, the Common Mark over Markdown, which is, you know, standard space. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like the different, there's different dialects of Markdown. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. One is standard space. The other one isn't. Say what you will about, um, you know, the developer. This is, he gave us this wonderful tool in Markdown. You have on one hand, this rather polarizing figure, but, you know, even polarizing figures can do some really nice things for the world. And Markdown is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I use Ulysses for a lot of my writing. I love Ulysses. Um, unfortunately, most of my content ends up going into WordPress, which it's it's the best of worst options. And like, I see a lot of folks in the developer community. I'll just give a little inside scoop. I see a lot of folks in the developer community say, oh, published by John Sundell is awesome. Use published, da, da, da. And going back to using tools, if I started using that, and as awesome as it is, I would waste so much time trying to tweak it and put in a pull request for publish for his code and making making suggestions and tweaking the code and not writing content. So like that's why I end up using WordPress is because it's a black box uh, mm-hmm. for all its good and bad points that it will I will avoid like trying to write my own CMS and instead focus on writing content like I'm supposed to. Yeah, I've been using WordPress for forever, as well as, you know, other ones that were proprietary to, you know, Gawker or to AOL or Condé Nast and so forth. Right, right, right. But they're all really the same, or at least they were the same. And it doesn't really matter because all you're really doing is that you try to take the tool, make the tool disappear and focus on content. And it doesn't matter how annoying the tool is. If you can abstract it away and focus on the content, then you're getting your work done. You're creating things of beauty. Yeah. And that's the problem. I used to do like I did a Node.js static site generator and it was just like I was spending so much time on like tweaking my JavaScript code and getting the page speed to be 1% faster. And it was like, no, 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 Leo, stop, stop. You need to write content. So like, yeah, I ended up switching to WordPress and I've been on that for two years and it it's fine. I think static sites have just 
seduced people. They love the idea of static sites. Especially developers. Especially developers. And then they spend all their time making the static site cooler. Right. As opposed to filling the site with content. Right. Exactly. That, at least that's my weakness. So it's cool and I'm, I'm, it's awesome that we have static site generators and I'm sure you could build something in Vapor as well uh, in Swift. It's just like, especially if it's built in Swift, I'm going to have a desire to want to like tweak it and play with it. And it's like, no, no, just give me crappy PHP and like, I'll definitely not be touching that anytime soon. So that's why I end up using WordPress. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We're going to continue the rest of our conversation with Erica in the next episode. So please join us then. We'll be getting a little bit more into the Swift argument parser and other things that Erica has been working on. So check that out next week. And thanks for joining. You can find me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion and my company at Bright Digit. Please do subscribe to the podcast. And if you have any reviews, please do post them to iTunes or Google Podcasts. Thank you again. And we'll talk to you later.